Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the blessing of your Sabbath hours. We all had busy weeks in different ways. But Lord, now help us to just cast away the burdens of the world and lay them at your feet. And Lord, as I share my story of your faithfulness in my life, I pray that you'll please help those who hear my words to see a vision of you and what is possible if we would all simply commit to having your way in our lives. So we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to talk about you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So it is a real honor for me to be here tonight um, to kind of share with you my story, and I really appreciate Debbie Young giving me that introduction. But I would like to classify myself as one of those people who, you know, would sit in the audience and hear testimonies of people who have strayed far away from the church and then talk about how the Lord brought them back. And it would always inspire me, but I realized that it didn't connect with me because I didn't have that experience where I fell away and then I came back. Or at least I didn't think I had that experience because you see, now looking back, I realized truly that the most effective way to be lost is to be sitting in a pew. And my testimony tonight is a testimony of how God had to wake me up in those pews and show me that I had to have a living relationship with him. You know, Revelation 12:11 says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. You see, the word of the lamb, the, the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony are the two ingredients that we need to stand in times of trial. And so it is my privilege to share with you my testimony. So a little bit about me. I was born and raised in Maryland. And as you heard from my introduction, I'm currently in medicine. But initially, I had no interest in going into medicine at all. I actually, in college, I majored in computer science and finance. And in addition to some engineering courses, I went ahead and completed my pre-med courses. And for those of you who've been through college, that tells you that I was very confused in college. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, and so I decided if I just did a little bit of everything, eventually something should be useful, and I should be able to use something, right? So when I graduated finally in 2006, after five years of college, it was so fun, I took five instead of four years, I even took the MCAT, which is the medical college admissions test that you need to take before you apply to medical school, and I got a decent score on it, but my heart wasn't in medicine, so I decided that I wasn't going to apply. Instead, I started working at the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research in bioinformatics research because I thought that melded my passions of, of the dry sciences and the wet sciences together. But after six months or so of that, the only thing it taught me was that I was not passionate about that kind of research. So then to do something completely different again, I went ahead and started working as a patent examiner at the US Patent and Trademark Office. And at that time, I got involved in starting my own online business. And I didn't say it to myself in so many words, but really at that time of life, my goal was to simply to make as much money as I could in as short a time as I could to buy back my time to retire young, retire rich, maybe write some checks with several commas for good ministry causes and to pat myself on the back and to live my life that way. And you see, that's probably where I would still be today had not God intervened. 
Because you see, in May of 2008, my father was diagnosed with brain cancer. And it came as a shock to all of us because there's no history of cancer of any kind in our family. You know, he came down with a facial droop, and we thought maybe it was a mild stroke. Um, went quickly to the hospital, got a CT of his head done, and it showed a mass in his right parietal lobe. And this is right around the time that Senator Ted Kennedy, if you remember, also was diagnosed with a very similar lesion in his brain. And when that happened, when we had the cancer diagnosis, it changed my life forever. Suddenly, everything I was doing in my life was unimportant. So I took a leave of absence from work, I let my online business go, and I became a full-time caregiver for my father because I wanted to beat this. I could not accept the fact that I would be losing my dad. You know, this was the greatest test of faith I had gone through up until that point. And part of being a cultural Christian is that you don't take the promises in the Bible to the bank. Up until that point, I had never really held God to the promises that I read in Scripture. So when my father was diagnosed with cancer, I was determined that for the first time in my life, now I was going to put it to the test. Mark 11:24 says, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Have you, have you ever truly prayed that prayer? Because I know I hadn't up until that point, but I was praying then. James 1, 6 through 8 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So I prayed and I exercised my faith like never before, and I was determined to not let my lack of faith be the reason why my father wasn't healed. Have you ever prayed really earnestly for something only to see the direct opposite of what you prayed come to pass? Because that's what happened to me. I prayed for healing every single day, but week by week, I could see my father's body deteriorating. Something else was going wrong. He was getting weaker, and I refused to admit it in words, but I couldn't help shake the feeling, God, are you there? Are you really listening? This Bible that I've told everyone I committed my life to, is it really trustworthy? Are these pretty verses just that, just pretty words? So one morning, my father saw me doing my devotionals, and he looked over at me and he, and he said, John, how do you do your devotionals in the morning? And that struck me as a really odd question because my father, well, he had been a Christian all his life as well, an elder in the church. And so I asked him, you know, Dad, what do you mean? You know, I read scripture and I pray, and, and he said, you know, I'm ashamed to say it, I've been in the church all my life, but I don't know what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ. And when he said those words, it really struck me because my dad was my hero and I looked up to him for everything and I just assumed that he was the spiritual pillar of our family. But when he confided that to me, it really shook my world. And I, I decided at that point that every morning when I do my devotionals, I would do it with him. So from that point on, we would pray together, we would read scripture together, we would sing hymns together. And some of you may be able to relate to this, but my father was a very stoic man, a man full of dignity. And up until that point, I think I've seen him cry once 
maybe twice at most my whole life. But when I started having worship with him in the mornings, after every prayer, I would open my eyes and I would see tears streaming down his face. We would sing a hymn and he would cry. We would read a verse of scripture and he would cry. And it was as if those words had new meaning for him for the first time in his life. I remember there was a time when he was hospitalized because he was having intractable brain tumor headaches and we were at Johns Hopkins. And it was communion Sabbath and because we couldn't be in church, our pastor brought uh, the bread and the grape juice to have a private communion ses session just for my dad. And I remember he gave the bread to my father, read the scripture and prayed and we were all eating it but my father wouldn't eat it. He would just stare at it. And I looked over at him and I asked him, you know, is something wrong? And he looked at that piece of bread and he said, you know, this is what I've been missing all my life. It was as if the meaning behind that beautiful symbol was coalescing in his mind for the first time. And I can tell you, witnessing that, it really took on new meaning for me as well. So although it was evident that the cancer was ravaging his body and that his physical health was declining, in a strange way, his spiritual life was blossoming in front of my eyes. You know, up until that point, all the physicians who took care of my dad, I wouldn't say all, but the majority of them had me convinced that I had made the right decision in not choosing to go into medicine. And I realized that they came in and they were interested more in the disease than the person, and I was so jaded about medicine. But towards the end of my father's illness course, the last doctor who took care of my dad was a true Christian physician, and he was an Adventist. And what he would do was he would sit at my father's bedside, and he would talk to him more than about his disease. He would talk to him about his depression, his trust in God, his faith, and his hopes for the future. And he would end every session by kneeling at my father's bedside, taking his hands in his, and praying for him and our whole family. And it would bring us to tears every single time. And even though what this physician did didn't cure my dad, there was a lot of healing taking place. And because of his influence, my father decided to rededicate his life to Christ and to be rebaptized. You know, unfortunately, the day before he was scheduled to get, get rebaptized, he actually suffered a grand mal seizure that hospitalized him permanently. But you know, like the thief on the cross, God knows the heart. My father ended up passing away on October 18, 2008, at the age of 54. And although it was one of the saddest moments of my life, it was also one of the most sacred because I realized that up until that point, I kept asking God to heal my dad. And I was so frustrated with God because I thought he wasn't listening to me. But before my father passed away, the Lord helped me to realize that he had healed my dad on a far deeper level than I had known to ask. And so when that happened, even though I lost my father and it hurt so much, I couldn't help but to bend my knee 
and thank God for his wisdom. Because truly, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I said, Lord, thank you for not answering my prayer and for looking deeper and giving me something better. Because I know I will see my Father in eternity. So friends, what this convinced, this experience convinced me that God is a God of love and that he has our best interests at heart and that he is so loving and so merciful that in his mercy, he sometimes refuses to give us what we ask. And I said to myself, you know what? I can trust a God like that. I can dedicate my life to serving a God like that. And seeing the impact that his last physician had on his life and my life, I thought to myself, I need to reconsider this whole field of medicine. So I've owned more copies of the Ministry of Healing throughout my life than I care to recount, but I've never opened it and read it. So for the first time after my father passed away, I read that book, and it changed my life forever. Through that book, I became convinced that God was calling me into medicine. But I was very nervous at this point, understandably, because I was three years out of college. And I said, Lord, I don't know what my chances are of getting into medical school, but if you are calling me down this path, I will go ahead and apply. So I went ahead and cast my net wide, and I applied to 24 schools across the country. And I figured that should cover my bases, right? And thankfully, what I was most concern concerned about was that, remember, when I graduated in 2006, I took my MCAT, and I was concerned that at that point my MCAT might be too old for these schools to accept. But thankfully, they all accepted my MCAT. They said, it's just old enough. We, we can still take it. And every school told me that except one, Loma Linda. <laughs> it was six months too old for them. And I said, Lord, thank you for narrowing it down to 23. <laughs> because if that's not a clear sign that that's not the school I'm meant to go into, I don't know what is. Have you ever made a decision in your life and then felt like God was looking at you from heaven, just shaking his head? <laughs> that's how I felt. I couldn't shake the feeling that, you know, I said, John, if you are praying for God to choose your medical school for you, but you don't put into the running the only medical school that has medical ministry as its foundation and that at one point had used the ministry of healing as its textbook, how can you honestly say that you're giving God every opportunity to lead you? And I'd be like, be quiet. Don't think thoughts like that, you know? But finally, I couldn't, I couldn't deny it anymore, and I had no rest. And I said, Lord, okay, fine. If you want me to retake the MCAT, you know what's going to happen if, this, if I don't score at least as high as I did fresh out of college when I was at the top of my game scholastically, it would spell certain doom for my application. So I will retake the MCAT, but this is in your hands. And it filled me with terror and peace right afterwards. When I said amen and I gave it up to God, I had such relief. That restlessness that had dogged me for weeks went away. So up until that point, my plan, because we all make plans, 
My plan was to continue working at the patent office as I interviewed for medical schools, and if I didn't get in, no harm done. I still have a stable job, life is good. Well, this threw a monkey wrench in those plans because in order for me to be able to brush up enough to retake the MCAT, I would have to study full time for over a month. So I had to quit my job, and I had to just study like crazy, and that was burning the bridges. But God let me know that he was being faithful. You know why? As I was studying my practice MCATs and taking these practice exams, I realized that I was actually scoring higher on my practice tests than what I had scored fresh out of college. And I had no idea where this was coming from. I said, Lord, I cannot believe I recall this material that I was sure had decayed somewhere in the far recesses of my brain. And when the time came to actually take my MCAT, it was tough, but I had that calm sense of peace that let me know that God was near. And when I, when I walked out of that exam, I said, Lord, I don't know how I did on that test, but I know you were with me, so I thank you. No matter what score I get, I know you were with me, so thank you. And sure enough, several weeks later, I got my score, and I was shocked because it was the lowest score I had ever gotten under any MCAT, practice or real. And with that score, every school proceeded to reject me, except Loma Linda. <laughs> it's funny how God works sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> Here I am at the start of it, feeling competitive for 24 schools, saying, Lord, you picked the one for me. Which of these prestigious schools is it going to be? And then here I am, knocking my knees, saying, it's either Loma Linda or bust. <laughs> and I realized that this was actually good for me because God had to humble me in this process. You see, he takes us on a journey to mold our characters. All throughout my life, you know, I studied hard, I got good grades, I had a competitive, you know, academic background. So I felt like I was God's gift to medicine. Here's John. He finally decided that he's going to pursue medicine. You may all stand up and cheer now. Yes, you know? Which of you lucky schools will be able to accept me among its membership? Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of how I felt. And now, I was just desperate to get an interview from Loma Linda. So, here I am. All my hopes hinging on one school. It made me think of the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Because when you pray for something and it doesn't come through the way you would want it to, you're tempted to think, God, aren't you listening to my prayers? Because he can answer your prayers in an unexpected way, right? What happened when Joseph refused the advances of Potiphar's wife? What was his reward? he got thrown in prison. Now, I can only imagine what Joseph was thinking in prison. He's thinking, this is what I get for being true to you in a foreign land? Can you imagine the things that were going through his mind? But he had no idea that he needed to spend that time in prison in order for God to use him in a palace, you see? So the Desire of Ages, page 224 says, God never leads his children otherwise than they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose which they are fulfilling as co-workers for him. So I realized that God knew what he was doing, even though I couldn't tell yet. But he let me know that he was being faithful to me because, first of all, he granted me an interview with Loma Linda. 
on the first day of their interview season when they only invite their top candidates. And I had no business being there because my, my application was very late as a result of me having to retake my MCAT. I also had two interviews there, one with a student and one with a faculty member, and they both went fairly well. So at the end of that, I said, Lord, it's in your hands. But if you choose to not open the door to ministry for me, the only other option, I'm sorry, if you don't choose to open the door to medicine for me, the only other option I can see myself going into is ministry. So I applied for the Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism four-month uh, lay ministry training program, also known as AFCO. And I decided, well, I'll do AFCO. And if God makes it clear that he's not getting me into medicine, I'll just go into ministry. Well, my first week in AFCO, I got a phone call from Loma Linda, and it was very exciting because if you know anything about medical schools, they do not call you to let you know you've been rejected. <laughs> they send you that thin envelope in the mail. <laughs> but to get a call from them could only mean one thing. So when I picked up the phone with a lot of excitement, the voice on the other line said, John, we would like you to come back for a second set of interviews. And I didn't know what to think about that because, you see, if they liked me, they wouldn't bother with a second round of interviews, right? But if they didn't like me, they wouldn't bother with a second set of interviews, right? <laughs> so what could this possibly mean? And rather than playing mind games, I said, well, when do you need me? And they said, can you come this Friday? And I said, yeah, sure, I can clear my schedule. So here I am, headed down on the wings of much prayer of my new AFCO classmates, going down for a second round of interviews. Went there, met with two physicians, they interviewed me back to back. And there's a lot of details in here that time won't permit me to go into, but I felt that God was guiding in those interviews. And here I am back at AFCO, and I told the Lord, Lord, it is completely in your hands. Or so I thought. Because you see, I was telling God, Lord, medicine or ministry, medicine or ministry. I don't care which one it is, medicine or ministry. But as the weeks went on and I didn't hear from Loma Linda, I started getting very anxious. And I started wondering to myself, do I need to take these Bible, personal Bible study courses a little bit more seriously? Because it seems like God is kind of closing that door. And as I felt that, I could feel that in my heart, I was really clinging to medicine. Because you see, I had told him, I give it up to you, whatever you want me to do. But I realized that in the back of my mind, it was, Lord, if it's it's either this or we're going to have to have a long conversation. <laughs> have you ever prayed like that? Where you're praying not so much to discern God's will, but to receive affirmation of a decision you've already made in your heart? I am so guilty of that. And I realized that at that point. But then February 18, 2009 happened. And what happened on that date was it was our first day of outreach at AFCO, where 56 students who had little experience descended on Sacramento to knock on doors and ask for Bible studies. And what we lacked in experience, we made up for in prayer, believe me. And as we fumbled our way through asking for Bible studies, in the span of just three hours that afternoon, our little ragtag class accumulated a over 160 Bible studies. And at that time, the coordinator for this outreach was uh, Wes Peppers, and I believe he's here at ASI this weekend, at least he was uh, presenting one of the seminars. So he knows exactly what I'm talking about. So when we came back from that event, we spent that entire night just recounting testimonies of how God gave us divine appointments on the streets and got us these Bible studies and poured out his Holy Spirit. And we would intersperse this with hymns and songs, and 
It was the spiritual highlight of my AFCO experience. The next morning, I woke up. I got on my knees and I said, Lord, I am so sorry that in my heart I was insisting on medicine because I realized that as long as you're using me to touch lives like you did yesterday, that's all I need. I don't care if you get me into medical school or if you use me as a minister or a mechanic or anything in between, just use me to touch lives for you. Amen. And it was the first time I meant it. That morning, I went to lunch with my friends, and as is our custom, we would gather in a circle and hold hands and pray at the end of every meal. And during that time, my phone rang. And after the prayer, I called back. And before I called back, I looked, and it was a Loma Linda number. And I couldn't help but to think, a third interview? <laughs> but when I called back, the director of admissions was on the other line, and he said, John, I am happy to tell you that you have been accepted to our School of Medicine. And that sent shivers up my spine because, friends, I know that it was not an accident that on the day that I finally gave up medicine to God is the day that he chose to open the door to medicine to me. It was as if he was waiting for me to learn this final lesson where I gave it up to him and I said, Lord, I don't care how you use me, just that you use me. And that's when he looked down from heaven and said, now you are ready to become my physician. And so he drilled that point home. You know, as I began medical school, I realized that it could quickly dominate your life and make you very one-dimensional. It's intense, the academic rigor of medical school. And many students sacrifice everything, including health, relationships with family and friends, and even their relationship with God on the altar of academics. I remember I was studying in the library, and I had one classmate who studied in the same area with me all the time. And one day he walked up to me and he said, John, I have decided that I'm not going to church anymore. And I said, why? And he said, I'm aiming for a very competitive medical specialty. And everyone else who's aiming for the same specialty studies around the clock seven days a week. I cannot be competitive and miss out one day. And so that's the decision he made. And he stuck true to it. He got stellar scores and he accomplished everything he wanted to. However, at what cost, I wonder? I looked at him and I saw him drifting away from everything that's spiritual. And I thought to myself, what a high cost. Because you see, regardless of what you do, if you pursue success at the expense of your faith, you will be building for yourself a foundation of faithlessness and you'll set a precedent of making things happen by your own strength, on your own terms, and you'll be unable to feel a need for God in your life. And if this is the case, how could it not breed pride? Because when you attribute everything you've done to yourself, there's nothing left but pride. However, if you step out in faith, and I really want to address the young people in the audience, if you step out in faith, especially when you study, and you ask God to guide you in every step of the way, your accomplishments that come thereafter will simply serve as testimonies of God's faithfulness in your life. And you'll be building for yourself a legacy of faithfulness and your ability to trust in Him will grow. Same outcome, competent physicians, but two drastically different characters. So in this sense, the journey is just as important, if not more important, than the destination. So I decided, you know what? I will never study at the expense of my faith. And from that moment on, I promised myself to always pray before I cracked open a textbook, to acknowledge that unless God helps me, I cannot, help, I cannot hope to understand the material in here. In the midst of my studies, I also got involved in ministry. 
because I thought this was my way of giving back from my AFCO training. So I was teaching Sabbath school lessons. I was giving personal Bible studies. I even got involved in the school senate as their chaplain. And I thought, this is, this is me giving back. But at the end of doing that, I realized it was actually God's way of preserving my faith in the face of a rigorous study schedule. See, Steps to Christ, page 80 says, if you will go to work as Christ designs that his disciples shall and win souls for him, you will feel the need of a deeper experience and a greater knowledge of divine things and will hunger and thirst after righteousness. Those who thus devote themselves to unselfish effort for the good of others are most assuredly working out their own salvation. And that was so true for me then, and it's very true for me now as well in residency. When the time came to do my clinical rotations in medical school, my big question was, Lord, what specialty do you want me to go into? And through a long chain of events, he convinced me that he was leading me into internal medicine because he brought me into contact with physicians who practice whole person care, who prayed with patients. One of those physicians I bumped into this morning in the hallway here, Dr. Agza Martel. I don't know if she's in the audience, but I was so blessed to learn from these doctors and I couldn't shake the feeling because I had so many divine appointments during my internal medicine rotation that God was calling me into internal medicine. So that's where I applied to. See, so during my fourth year, when I was putting my applications together for residency, I decided that I wanted my faith to be the centerpiece of my application. And I prayed for God to use my application as a filter. I wanted him to reject the wrong programs and to make it appealing to the right programs. But when my advisors saw my personal statement and how I crafted together my application, they said, you know, John, this would work great for Loma Linda, maybe Kettering, Florida Hospital. But if you want to have a shot at any other place, you may want to tone down the religious verbiage a little bit. You know, one of my advisors also told me, hey, your personal statement, it spans two pages. No, no reviewer is going to take the time to read two pages. You need to really condense it to one page. So there's this beautiful story you wrote about a patient encounter you had that was very meaningful from a spiritual standpoint. Why don't you just summarize that in a sentence or two and just cut that out? But I talked to a godly physician mentor of mine, and he said, John, reviewing your application, this story is the only thing in your application that serves as a testimony to those reviewing it, so I would leave it in. And when he said that, I said, done, it's staying. And if they get turned off by it, they don't have to read it. So I had no impressive extracurricular activities on my CV. I didn't do any impressive research. All my spare time, honestly, went to ministry. But I was happy with my application because it accurately reflected who I was and what I was passionate about. So I ended up interviewing at 17 different programs in nine different states. And that's a lot. And time won't permit me to tell you all the amazing things that happened on the interview trail, but let me just highlight one incident and that was at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. First of all, when I went there and I spoke with the other interviewees, I realized that I had no business being there. It was very clear that I was the least qualified applicant, at least on paper. And hearing them talk about the things that they've been doing made me wonder, why am I here? The first person who interviewed me was an oncologist. And because of his background, he was naturally very interested in what happened to my father. And we started talking about spiritual care in the context of oncology and terminal illness. And we had a great discussion. And that evening, he emailed me back saying, John, after I spoke with you today, I went to my clinic that evening, and I just took a mental note of every time 
an opportunity for spiritual care came up, and I realized it was with every patient. This is such a crucial issue in medicine. I hope you will choose to come to Mayo. That was his email to me. My second interview was with the program director, and she started off by saying, John, I just want to let you know that your personal statement was one of the most impressive, well-written personal statements I have ever read. And trust me, I've read a lot of personal statements. And she proceeded to highlight, actually, my patient's story on the second page and how it really touched her. And that's, I couldn't help but to think at that point, that was exactly the portion that I was advised to remove. And in talking with this program director, I realized that what impressed her most about me was my conviction for spiritual care and whole person care, much more than any research item or extracurricular activity could have impressed her on my CV. And it really made me think of Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. So friends, if there's one way that you want to differentiate yourself from others, it should be in the degree of your love for God. And he will add everything else to you. So after much prayer and fasting, what happens is you take all the programs you interviewed at, then you make a rank list from the program you like most to the program you like least, and you submit it to a computer. All the programs do the same thing with the applicants that they had interviewed, and they submit them to the same computer. And it's kind of like an e-harmony of medicine in the background, and try to pair you up with the best match so that a program you like and a program that likes you can be paired up together. And after much prayer and fasting, I decided that God was impressing it upon my heart to rank the Mayo Clinic number one. And I have to tell you, friends, this took a lot of soul-searching because, honestly, I was wondering if I was putting that up there and, and ranking it number one for the wrong reasons. And I said, Lord, is this me or is this you? But after talking to a lot of godly physician mentors, I realized that I had peace with it. And I said, Lord, no matter what happens, the glory goes to you. And if, if I'm misinterpreting you, then override my rank list and get me into the program that you would have me to go to. And he brought me to the point where I said, Lord, whatever program I match to, I know it's going to be your will for me, so I thank you. So then, match day came, March 21, 2014. My wife and I, we converged in the room where they're passing out envelopes, and what happens is every student gets an envelope, and then we do a countdown, like New Year's Eve, and at the same time, we all tear open our envelopes and find out where we're going for residency. And as peals of screaming uh, erupted from all around the room, my wife and I hugged each other, and we said a small prayer, and we held that envelope, and we said, Lord, I don't know where you're sending me, but I know that this is your choice for me, so we thank you, amen. And we opened that envelope, and to my shock, it was the Mayo Clinic. And when I give this story, a lot of people say, John, wow, you got into the Mayo Clinic. And when they say that, I know they, mis they misunderstood the true point of my testimony. Because the major point of this testimony is not that God got me into the Mayo Clinic, but that he brought my heart to the point where even if it was the most smallest unknown program in the middle of nowhere, I would have been happy because I knew that that was his choice for me. So friends, and especially young people, dedicate your life to him. Be in full commitment to him and say, Lord, 
I give it up to you. I don't care where you use me. I don't care how you use me. Just use me to add souls to your kingdom. And when he does that, when you pray that way, watch and be amazed because your life will never be the same again. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the beautiful testimonies that you give each of us. And mine is just one of an innumerable amount in this room. Lord, I pray that you'll give us the faith to cling to you and to your promises, to completely give up our will to yours, to let you direct and guide our lives. And in so doing, Lord, may we be changed and be a light for you so that others may come to know you as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.